0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 313 of X-Lapsed, an episode that, uh, well, truly embodies the X-Lapsed problem as it pertains to um, my repeating myself over and over and over again. Um, I feel like at my very best, I'm very repetitive, (laughs) which, I mean, there is only so much to say about certain stories and certain books, but um, that's especially so... When we're covering, you know, three or four chapters of X Men Unlimited in a row, uh, especially, you know, these are uh, very, very slight stories. They kind of crawl by. It's it's a glacial pace. Um, our backup story is the very definition of quick and dirty. It's just a whole lot, not a whole lot of new <laughs> for me to say as I as I stumble through this pre ramble here, but um. I guess with uh, that preface out of the way that this might just be a little bit repetitive, let's uh, let's hop on into it. Now, this is uh, X-Men Unlimited, Volume 3, Number 20. Had a January 2022 release date. Uh, Paradise Lost, Chapter 8, The Stupidest Plan Ever, written by Fabian Niciesa with art by Matthew Horrick. Colors, Rachel Rosenberg. Letters, VCs, Joe Edits, Amaro, White, Zabolski. This one appeared on the app on January 31st. Of 2022 And uh, we'll skip the humorous rejoinder Which, I mean, good grief If this is ever collected It's going to make the flow of the story Even worse than it already sort of kind of is I mean, as I've said before If you're reading this chapter You have access to all of the past chapters So uh, these are very, very unnecessary Even more unnecessary than... Oh, whatever Um, Maybe this is just Marvel acknowledging the fact That the unlimited interface leaves a lot to be desired, um, and that folks ain't going to want to bounce around the app trying to catch up on stories. I don't know. I, maybe it's just me. Maybe I am just an idiot. Maybe I'm just really not good at uh, working apps on my phone. But uh, the Unlimited app is not always the most user-friendly. It's, you know, you, you click on one thing, and then, it, like, it vanishes. You have to, like, dig through Think You have to search, and then you have to... I mean, just the search function is just so, uh, it's a pain in the ass. Anyway, let's get into the story. Uh, we open with Mr. Sinister laying on the ground with a great big hole blown out of his dome, and uh, I don't think we see Mr. Sinister again after this, so uh, I guess we can just assume that he is dead and we will never ever see him again. Uh, we learn via narrative caption that uh, the warden used the powers of Bushwhacker to take down Essex. Now, Bushwhacker is a dude with a very gross gun arm, just like the one that the Warden is currently wielding. He first appeared in Daredevil number 248, November 1987 cover date. Uh, He was created by Ann Nacenti. So I'm assuming another one of his superpowers has something to do with uh, soapboxes. Anyway, from here, Kane asks Wade what his big plan is. Remember, last time out, Wade's like, Aha, I got it. And, uh, well, let's let him explain. But first, he apologizes to some guy named Chris. Which, I mean, nobody knows I exist. It must be a different nitpicky nitwit named Chris that he's talking to right now. Now, Wade's plan has to do with the perpetual cellular regeneration gimmick that the Warden swiped from him, and how it isn't an unlimited resource. Which is to say it's likely working in overdrive right now just to keep all the powers he sucked up from ravaging his body and tearing him apart. So the plan is to do whatever they can to overwhelm the healing factor so that it ultimately gives out. Now, Juggernaut says that this is an awful, awful plan, but, well, it's the only one they've got, so, uh, let's do the thing, and, um, it's fight time. Again. During the fracas, the human adaptoid is looking kind of like Metamorpho, uh, while using the powers of Zax, Solar, Basilisk, Vibro, Melter, and Sunstroke. Now, Zax, of course, is the hilariously named Hulk baddie Who I swear is only ever used because his name is so LOL random He first appeared in Incredible Hulk number 166, May 1973 cover date Solar is, well, so obscure I really can't find anything on him Unless, of course, this is a misspelling of solar with two R's And I mean, there are, you know, only three editors on this one Stands to reason they they missed something, you know, as unimportant as this Now, if it is 2R Solar, this is Silas King, who first appeared in Captain America number 160, January 1973, cover date. Created by Steve Englehart, so he probably also had something to do with Watergate. Uh, Basilisk is, um, well, it's a name a half dozen Marvel baddies have used. Melter was a member of the Masters of Evil, who first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 47, August 1963, cover date. And he was killed by the Scourge in Avengers number 263, October 1985 cover date. He hasn't been back since. Sunstroke is a mook who jumps from group to group and has solar energy absorption powers. He first appeared in Avengers West Coast, volume 2, number 17, February 1987 cover date. Then the fight continues and, uh, well, more powers are used, including those of Arclight. Now, Arclight is one of the legacy marauders with the power of shockwave generation. She first appeared in Uncanny X-Men 210, October 1986, cover date. Also, the powers of Fizgig, a member of Brute Force who's only ever appeared twice. Uh, First appearance, Thunderbolts, number 31, October 1999, created by Kurt Busiek and uh, Mark Bagley. Also, the powers of Nitro, that explodey dude responsible for destroying the Marvel Universe and making comics nearly unreadable for a time. Uh, I mean, the guy behind that big explosion that kicked off Civil War and uh, the, the first really awful Civil War. Uh, his first appearance was Captain Marvel number 34, June 1974 cover date. Finally, the powers of X-Ray, who is was one of the UFOs with cosmic ray-type powers. His first appearance was Incredible Hulk number 254, December 1980 cover date. The fight continues, and, oh, come on. Uh, more powers are used, including those of Lightmaster. Now, Lightmaster is a baddie who was the former Chancellor of Empire State University with... Well, as you might imagine, light-based powers. His first appearance was Peter Park at the uh, Spectacular Spider-Man No. 1, September 1976, cover date. Also the powers of Electro, and we all know Electro, right? Uh, Finally, the powers of Equinox, who has thermokinesis powers, and he first appeared in Giant-Size Spider-Man No. 1, April 1974, cover date. Anyway, the use of all these powers has wound up weakening the Warden's control of that Sleepy Time gimmick he used last chapter. Or was that two chapters ago now? Not, whichever it was, it, you know, he, he put the island to sleep, of course uh, Professor X is able to get up and make contact with some Krakoan citizens He gets through to a very off-model Betsy Britton And an even more off-model QAnon And, of course, we know they had body-swapping issues And Fabian Niciesa dug deep on that a uh, long, long time ago uh, Back to the fight uh, The human adaptoid grabs and hurls Juggernaut back across the island Or maybe it was Krakoa? Again, I really don't know at this point. And it probably doesn't matter either, Uh, though if it was the warden who done it, uh, we can add him to that ever-growing list of things that, you know, have stopped the Juggernaut. Anyway, Kane reaches out to Charles and asks him to wake one specific mutant. Any guesses which mutant that might be? Who's the Juggernaut talking about here? Well, it's uh, that character that nobody but Fabian Issa cares about. D-Cell, and so she's aroused from a slumber and sent on her way to the battlefield. There, we see the Warden choking out Deadpool as he brags about having the powers of the Absorbing Man. Of course, we know the Absorbing Man, I'm not even going to bother pulling up the wiki page. Uh, Wade comments that he also must have swiped the powers of Halitosis Man. So there. And anyway, by now, Juggernaut and D-Cell have arrived, Kane punches the Warden, and the Warden drops Deadpool. Then it's D-Cell's turn to do, you know, that thing she do. She uses her deceleration field to block the baddie from accessing all of his stolen powers. He fights it, but ultimately succumbs. And then, he begins to die. But how? Well, you see, the warden took Deadpool's healing factor, right? Well, in order to do so, he had to take samples of his skin and blood, right? Now, this means he also took everything else that came with those samples, which is to say, he absorbed Wade's cancer. And, well... Uh, that that's about it. He goes down, just like uh, Joe Fraser did all those episodes ago. Uh, Wade walks over to the prone warden and calmly does something with his sword. He either stabs or severs or decapitates. Who knows? Who knows? All we do know is that the warden is history. Seeing how this ultimately played out, Kane posits that he now understands why people like them are not welcome on Krakoa. To which Wade uh, rationally responds that, uh, you know, it takes people like them to stop people like them. Just then, Professor X approaches to tell Kane that that puddle of Primus is recovering. And Kane says, ah, that's great, and we'll leave just as soon as we can. To which Chuck finally tells his stepbrother that he's welcome to stay on Krakoa. And in fact, he should have always been welcome on Krakoa. Kane says that he appreciates the offer, and uh, one day soon he might just take him up on it, and uh, I think we know when that'll be, but, uh, well, that day is not today. You see, Kane's mission ain't over yet. You know, he has beaten the Warden, yeah, but uh, the Warden was answering to another, and Kane and his Unstoppables will not rest until they find out who that is. And, well, that's where we leave this one. That's uh, where Paradise Lost comes to its conclusion. Uh, next episode, we're going to be digging back into physical media here. We uh, we do, in fact, have next month's books in hand right now, or I guess this month's book, last month's books. My this month's shipment has arrived, and uh, as far as I can tell, all the X-Books are there. So um, starting next episode, we'll be digging in, and I think the first episode out will be X-Men number 6. I think we're doing Captain Krakoa stuff. So that'll be next episode. Next installment of X-Men Unlimited looks to be a uh, maybe a one-off, maybe a part one. But it's uh, it's Multiple Man and Strong Guy doing, uh, I'm assuming, funny, silly, and random stuff. But uh, we'll get there when we get there. For now, let's talk a little bit about um, Paradise Lost, which, I mean... There really isn't much to say about it uh, that I haven't already said. Uh, this one sure took its time getting to its conclusion, and I'm assuming there's a reason for that. I'm guessing that this was originally pitched as a uh, as a second Juggernaut miniseries, which would have likely had a minimum page count that it would have needed to meet. And uh, you know, again, I you know, as I always say, I have no inside knowledge of anything. Nobody knows me. Nobody likes me. Nobody talks to me about anything. So this is just my hot take. But if I had to guess, which I I guess I don't have to guess, but uh, for the sake of argument, if I had to guess, I would assume that this was originally intended as a uh, follow-up to the Juggernaut miniseries from 2020. And the inclusion of Deadpool was probably a way to maybe juice the sales a little bit. Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your mileage, it was reworked into this Infinity comic, and... uh, and we get what we get, I suppose. Um, I guess it's better better than nothing, but um, I feel like had this been originally intended as an unlimited comic, it probably would have read a lot smoother and a lot better paced than it did uh, a- a- as it stands now. Cutting it off at something of a cliffhanger seems strange, especially when we know that uh, Juggernaut will loom pretty large in the Destiny of X era, right? Uh, he's going to be a part of that Legion of X book and... Something tells me that Simon Spurrier isn't going to be digging into the super prison in that book. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe this is all set up for that, but I, I don't think it is. Could be wrong. Maybe I am. Probably am, but uh, I, I don't think it is. So if that is the case, that we're never going to get back to this super prison deal... Maybe this story should have ended just with Professor X saying, hey, you're welcome here, and you maybe should have always been welcome here, and just leave Juggernaut, like, silently pondering what that means, and and just let it lay there. Uh, As far as how they took care of the warden here, I like that. I thought that was very, very creative, and... um, it almost justifies that overlong scene from 150 chapters ago, where Deadpool is talking about all the samples that were taken from him. Of course, I mean that wasn't funny then, and it still isn't funny now. But I can understand why so much attention was paid to it, since you know, okay, yeah, he took you know he took saliva and this and that and this and that, and now having it clarified uh, how important that was, it you know it makes that scene work a little bit better. Like I said, still not funny, but. Uh, it works, and it fits. This was also fine use of uh, D-Cell, who I I wasn't sure we'd ever see again. So it was cool to see her in action. It was cool to see uh, that her powers were basically, you know, the perfect foil for the human adaptoid. So that was pretty cool. But other than that, uh, I suppose my main takeaway is that this one sure took its time getting to where it needed to be. But uh, it's in the rear view now. It's in the books. And um, I guess we'll see where we go from here. And with all that said, how about we head into our uh, our second half of this episode and try to make sense of The Life of Wolverine, number four. February 2022 release, uh, Chapter 4, The World at War. Written by Jim Zub, with art by Ramon Box. Colors, Havata Taglia. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Edits, Baumgartner, Basso, White, Zabolski This one appeared on the app on February 10th. Of 2022, so not too long ago And I, I think as of this recording This is the latest chapter to be uploaded to the app Which I, I guess stands to reason It is less than a week old Anyway, let's get into it We open with Wolverine at War And it's uh, still World War One, And our hero finds himself faced off With the Angel of Death on the battlefield And uh, no, this isn't just symbolism As Logan actually did encounter Lazier. Lazier, L-A-Z-A-E-R. However you pronounce that, uh, an actual angel of death. Uh, but that's all we see here. That's all we see here in this story, and that's actually just the tip of the iceberg on a far deeper story about how war can change a man, and also uh, kind of lampshades some of Wolverine's more miraculous healings uh, in in history here. Um, now Logan, he he faces off with his Lazier. He falls into a deep depression after everything he's been forced to do during the war and even contemplates suicide. Uh, Wolverine does fight Lazier and defeats him, which sets up this very strange gimmick where, in the event that Wolverine ever dies, he has the right to battle Lazier again and return to life if he's victorious. So, I mean, that's maybe that's an explanation or, like I said, lampshading how Wolverine can come back from, like, a speck of dust or an atom or a drop of blood, you know? Uh, we get none of that explained here though. <laughs> all we see is Wolverine standing in a battlefield in front of a angel of death holding a sword, which explains absolutely nothing. Uh, from here, Logan would do some more wandery globe trotting, eventually ending up in Shanghai, where he'd meet a man called Ogun. And we know Ogun, right? Um, now, all we see here is Wolverine stood before a Japanese officer who offers him training in martial arts at the Ogun Ryu Dojo. Uh, this officer is Ogan, by the way. He suggests that uh, the training will fill all of Logan's voids, which, you know, if you ever meet a uniformed man in an alley who offers to fill all your voids, uh, never mind. Um, now, the actual story here is, as expected, a bit deeper than all this. Uh, there's something about a MacGuffin box, Japanese occupation. We don't get any of that here. In any event, uh, Wolverine declines the offer. That's all we really need to know. The next stop for our hero is the Sonoran Desert, where Wolverine meets a woman named Raven Darkholm. Now, she isn't yet calling herself Mystique, but she's as crafty as she ever was. All we see here is Logan and Raven stood before a firing squad. Uh, And I swear, there's a lot of stood-beforeings in this chapter. (laughs) It's just, Wolverine stood before this, stood before that, stood before them. And it's never really explained. Uh, Naturally, that ain't the whole story here. This is from a four-part story that appeared in Wolverine, Volume 3, Issues 62 through 65. Those ran April through July 2008 cover dates by Jason Aaron. Here, Wolverine was arrested and sentenced to death for horse napping. And he and Raven met there, and uh, they managed to escape. Mystique would bring him to Kansas City in order to join her family of thieves. He'd be eventually left on the hook for a bank heist gone wrong, which would end this partnership, and uh, Wolverine would jam on out. Then he's tossed back into a zoo, and he's referred to as the Amazing Immortal Man. Now, this is from a 2008 one-shot by David Laugham called Wolverine, the Amazing Immortal Man, and Other Bloody Tales, July 2008 cover. Now, all we apparently need to know from this story is that, uh... Well, he went to a zoo, and uh, the zoo burned down, and he left. That's it. Next, our man is back in Madripoor for more Seraph. Seraph? Seraph. However, you say her name, but also uh, more banging and more freelancing. We do see Wolverine wearing an eye patch for a single panel here. Uh, there's no mention that Seraph is working for Romulus uh, in this part, and in fact, I don't think Romulus is mentioned at all this chapter. Which, you know, as the fellow who is revealed as ultimately being, you know, in control and pulling all the strings in Logan's life, seems a little odd. Uh, anyway. This Madriporian stint is short-lived, and next we know our man is back in Japan, training with Ogan in the ways of the samurai. And we really gloss over this bit, because uh, like, just like a half a finger flick later, Wonderlust has once again claimed our hero, and uh, he's caused him to fly the coop. His next stop is the Spanish Civil War, which gets one panel. Then he's back into Seraph's Sultry Circle, which sounds quite dirty, but I assure you it's their words, not mine. Anyway, um, Seref sends Logan to uh, meet Taurus Romanoff, who teaches him to be a spy. During this bit, uh, Wolverine would train Taurus's ward Natasha Romanoff, who would be the future Black Widow, uh, hand-to-hand combat. Now, it's implied here, or maybe it's just not explained here, but uh, the implication I get from this retelling is that this was an even exchange. Like, Taurus teaches Wolverine this, Wolverine teaches Natasha that. However, in the actual stories, Logan would train Natasha in secret. And also, the original story has this stint lasting two or so years, which, talk about time compression, huh? Anyway, by now, it's 1941, and World War II is in full swing. Our man is back working as a spy for Seraf in Madripoor when he meets his first costumed hero. And this is another callback to that classic uh, Jim Lee uncanny issue with Cap and Widow on the cover. Because, naturally and unsurprisingly, that first hero he meets is Captain America. And that is where we leave it. And, well, uh, I guess repetition in coming here. Um, I don't know what this story's trying to be. <laughs> like uh, like I said uh, the past few times here, it's, it's an illustrated Wikipedia entry and not even a very good one. Not an in-depth one in, in the slightest. Um, I experienced the same... A creative process, or I guess scripting process Because what I do isn't terribly creative But uh, I had the same process that I had uh, the past couple times here Where it took me maybe two minutes to read the story And then I spent uh, you a know, half hour, 45 minutes Digging around various resources online Trying to fill in the blanks that uh, this series Which purports to be telling like the full chronological story of Wolverine Should be doing for us and, I mean, I don't want to go beat by beat since we already did that in the synopsis, but um, just taking one of the one of the things we saw here was Wolverine facing off with an angel of death. That angel of death was never named. We didn't find out anything about anything other than the fact that, that they ran into each other on the battlefield. I mean, just reading this story, do you know what happened next? No. Uh, does, is that to say that it doesn't matter what happened next? Maybe. I, I really don't know. Though, in fairness, um, to my own ignorance here, I have yet to read any of the ex-lives or ex-deaths of Wolverine just yet. Perhaps those go deeper into these stories and they don't want to give it all away in this unlimited thing that, you know, me and five other people are going to read. I could see that being a possibility, but um, that doesn't make this experience any more satisfying or any less frustrating. But rather than repeat myself any more than I already have, we'll just, uh, we'll leave it there. So if you're in the market for some half-assed, fake-ass history, uh, you'll love this, maybe. I don't know. But while the getting's good, how about we put a bullet in this episode and we can uh, we can get on to other things next time. <laughs> if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I can't imagine why anybody would, but if anybody does, please feel free to do so. You could find me several different ways. Uh, all this stuff is in the show notes, by the way, if anybody's reading those. Uh, you know, all the contact information's there. But if not... Ace Comics on Twitter, 90s X-Men on Instagram. Email is weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, the voicemail hotline is 623-396. Let's nine six. Let's let's start that over. Voicemail hotline is 623-396-JERK. Blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. Facebook, 90s X-Men. The complete audio archives are available anywhere you find noise. ChrisandReggie.podbean.com. Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. Any of the shows... You should be able to find them on Google or anywhere. Uh, Finally, there is the Patreon. If you want to throw a little bit of support my way, that is patreon.com slash xlapsed. So, with all that said, uh, I think I'll let you all get on with the rest of your day. (laughs) I want to thank you all so much for joining me, and until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!